Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody here and outside and there on YouTube. Uh, glad you guys are here joining us today. It's a little cooler today. Um, I guess the June gloom is on its way, which isn't bad. It's actually nice to have a little cool weather and some moisture in the air. We hope you're doing well. Uh, we miss gathering together, and we are still leaning into how we can do life and church together in a way that is better. Um, We were just talking, uh, Randy, Ben, myself, and some of the other leaders even last night texting about wanting to move forward in a way that is going to be uh, better than even it was. And so we're praying for imaginations, how to do that, and As things develop, we, of course, are going to let you know and hope to be able to maybe have a Zoom meeting where we can all kind of get online again, see each other's faces, say hello, and share a little bit of some things that might change or get even some input from you of things that you would like to see uh, take place. Um, But we'll let you know as those things develop. I do want to remind you that uh, we are here because of your continued support through your offerings, uh, there's the various ways to give, uh, whether it be mailing here to the building, go to thegenesisstory.com, and you can go through Zelle, uh, Venmo, or even there at the uh, website, there's a way for you to just put in your information and give. And so we appreciate that. And again, that's kind of part of how we continue to move forward uh, with one another uh, this way until we can gather together again in person. Um, gosh, so, so many things are happening uh, in, in life. If you watch the news, so many things to think about, consider, whether it's viruses, whether it's the unrest in Israel, whether it's uh, some of the things happening even still here in, in the States. Uh, how do we live like Jesus? And that's what this whole series has been about. Uh, we're, we're trying to do uh, something that helps us to lean into transformation. That's what my desire has been as we've been talking about these things of desire. And just in a small review, because I'm going to move back into this, we are looking at how Jesus lived his life in, in grace and truth, where it, it was a quality of life where these two 
things work together. It isn't either grace or truth. Grace and truth are a part of the same section of life that Jesus leaned into and lived into. And as we've been trying to do that as well, we are looking at how what Christ is always wanting to do is get to the heart of the matter. He's always wanting to get into the depths of who we are, and that's where change takes place, and that's where we want to see change take place. And so even right now as we continue, I want to pause and pray just that the Lord would open our eyes and our understanding to see how we can be transformed and become more like Jesus. Lord, we need change. Our world needs change, and you've called us to be the change, and for that to happen, it has to happen within us, Lord. God, may my words be clear. May your spirit Use them to bring about truth and transformation to all of us. Lord, may we be humble to receive what you have for us. May we be open to change what needs to change in us. Father, may we be brave enough and not give in to shame to see the discrepancies in our life and see the grace and truth that you're wanting to bring about in each of us. And we thank you for the love that this takes place in Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen. So the wheel of transformation is back here. And just a brief overview or review, actually, we're in this grace and truth quadrant. We're talking about what it's like to be changed in Christ. What it means to follow Jesus is to live in this quadrant of grace and truth as seen and demonstrated by Jesus. And we talked about how oftentimes we live above this waterline of awareness where it's all about our words or our works. It's all about the doctrine and the things that we do. And if we look at that, we can actually put Pharisees in this quadrant, right? The the Pharisees were known for the things that they did. They prayed, they gave alms, they they went to temple, they did all these things that people could see. They were known for the things that they did as they would teach and proclaim uh, from the law. But Jesus is wanting to get deeper. And so we've been looking at how do we also get deeper? And the first thing we have to do is actually detect when God's spirit is working in our lives. And we've called that kairos, right? Those moments of opportunity where God is leaning into us and it happens in so many various ways where we might be just uh, confronted with something that's very powerful. It, it could be uh, a cancer. It could be uh, the death of someone that we love. It could be something good. It could be the birth of a child or a marriage. All these things are like walls that we can't get away from. They're, they strike at us in a way that doesn't move. It moves us. And then there's speed bumps, little things that we detect. You know, all of a sudden you get weepy uh, when someone says something to you or you watch something, a movie, you have a conversation with someone and the conversation stays in your head. It doesn't go away. These things are like speed bumps that are 
telling us, hey, something's going on down here. Let's look into it, right? And the way we look into it is by digging. We, we want to find out more about it, and, and digging requires repentance. We talked about the good news of repentance, right? Seeing what needs to change so that we can understand this more, to, to redirect our lives, to recalibrate like that GPS, where we're going to, where maybe this is taking us. And that good news is part of this transformation, and that's repentance. And, and as we lean into this and understanding that there is this curiosity that we should have about what God is doing, but we should have it with compassion. It's not with guilt. It's not with shame. And if you've grown up in church, maybe those things have been used to try and bring change about in your life. We're going to bring about change by making you feel guilty, making you feel bad, but that's not how Jesus did it, right? Jesus did it, and Scripture tells us that It is the love of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God that brings about change or repentance. And so as we are moving from this, okay, I detect with the kairos, I dig, I have this compassionate curiosity, this repentance, we now want to discern. And when we're talking about discern, we're really talking about bad news. And I'll explain what that is here hopefully today. I, I want to talk today about the lies we believe and the idols we serve. Real transformation only takes place when we get below that surface, surface of the words and the works to our wants. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, our righteousness must go beyond or exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, right? And when he said that, He didn't mean that we have to be more strict, that they weren't strict enough, but rather a different kind of righteousness. In other words, there needs to be something different about how we see righteousness than the way they saw it, which again was dealing mostly with the words and the works. We have to deal with a righteousness that isn't skin deep, but one that actually deals with the heart. The, the knowing and doing the right things, Jesus is talking about a righteousness that goes deeper than doctrine and deeds all the way to our desires. One that allows us to be genuine in who we are and allows us to see who we really are so that we can really change, right? And Jesus made it clear throughout his entire ministry that you can assent to correct doctrine and behave correctly and still completely miss the kingdom of God. Unless we get down to the motivations of what's driving us and our wants, we often miss the bad news, which is the idolatry and the lies that we are falling for that run our lives. And that's what the practice of discerning bad news is all about. Bad news, just as a definition of what I'm talking about here, bad news is anything that takes us away from the love that is God. Anything that distances us or puts a wall between us and the love of God as seen in Christ, that is bad news. 
And that might seem obvious, but it's amazing how many good things we can put there that actually take us away. And I want to talk about three ways that this bad, way, this bad news interrupts Jesus' way of love. Three ways or main areas that bad news sabotages our worship of God and robs us of being centered in his love. These ways of doing things come up over and over throughout Scripture and throughout human history, and I, I think we'll see even in our lives. These ways are seen or are talked about in Genesis 3 in the garden. They're talked about in Jesus' temptation, and John in 1 John chapter 2 also talks about them. They also appear in other subtle ways throughout Scripture that I think we'll be looking into. And if we're paying attention, I think we'll see that they show up in our lives as well. We have noticed these patterns throughout history, and hopefully we can lean into them again today. What I'm going to be talking about, the three ways, are security, belonging, and significance. Now, years ago, when Genesis was first starting, we went through a series called Crave, and Irwin talked about three different things. He talked about destiny, intimacy, and meaning, and they're really very similar, right? It's this way of finding purpose in life, and we look for it in security, we look for it in belonging, we look for it in significance. And we're going to unpack these all as we go on, but let's take a look at Genesis 3 to see them. Remember the story, and you're probably mostly aware of this. There's a serpent who slithers into the garden, right? And he's there, the garden that was given to man and woman, and he goes up to the woman and he starts being an antagonist. He starts challenging what God said to the woman. Right? Did not God say that you can eat of any of this delicious fruit, right? He, he said you could do this, and the woman says, no, only from this one tree we can't eat or we will die. And the serpent offers the woman a different vision of what will happen when she eats the fruit. Your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And look at the woman's response in Genesis 3, verse 6. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Notice the three things the woman internally notices about the fruit. One is it's good for food. Two, it's pleasing for the eyes to the eyes. And three, it's desirable for gaining wisdom, which would make her like God. First John, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we'll see these connect to this same thing, and we'll see it in the temptation of Jesus as well. Three things the woman noticed about the fruit are the three ways that she was tempted. She saw that the fruit was good for food, meaning she could sustain her life for it. This is something I could eat 
and get life from. Instead of really trusting that God has provided all these other ways for you to get life from, here's something else that you're not allowed to get life from. She grasped for what she was convinced that she needed. She trusted the fruit for security, to provide for her something that was necessary, even though it was against God's prohibition. See, these are the three ways that bad news most often comes to us. The bad news is essentially the lie or the idols that consistently sabotage our trust in God. Security. This will give me what I need. It's good for food, the need for safety, the need for security, the fear of not having enough or for missing out of something that is good. The core lie is that I am what I have. In other words, if I have this, it makes me more. It gives me what is necessary to live. And these are the dominant stories of bad news that that seek to to motivate and to move us, right? We will find a way to make into an idol something that we use to give us satisfaction, right? It promises us security, belonging, or significance. We, We have to discern the bad news at work in our lives and that this is why we detect, have those kairos moments and we dig with compassionate curiosity so that we can come to a place where we discern what we are doing and how we are moving forward in the awareness. And if it's taking us to a place that is away from the love and security that comes from who God is and how God sees us, to put it on something else, We're not usually tempted with what is obviously bad. Instead, it's more likely to deceive us with an appearance of good. And so even things that maybe you would consider a vice, whether it's overeating or overdrinking or indulging in something too much, It's usually not wrong in itself, the desire for food, the desire for drink, the desire for sex, the desire for security. None of these things are wrong in themselves. It's when they start to be used to bring us a sense of this is what I need and without it, I am missing out of what I need, that lack of security. The counterfeit ways to find security are the temptations. And that's where we have to, I think, discern the difference to maybe how we see and understand that word. Let's take a look at how these counterfeit ways hide themselves by looking at the account of Jesus' temptation, at least one of them. In Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 1, says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, 
where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, let this stone become bread. This is the temptation. Now, a few things, again, important to note at the beginning of this story. First of all, it's important to realize that Jesus went into the desert intentionally, right? He went to prepare for his public ministry. And immediately prior to his going there at his baptism, his identity and vocation were confirmed by the Father's words in the Spirit's presence. When he says in verse Three of Luke, verse, chapter 3, verse 20, he says, You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus knew who he was, and he knew he was called to announce and demonstrate that God's kingdom was present and available to all through him. The only question was how? What way would the kingdom come? And that's where the temptation takes place. The temptation wasn't intended to lure Jesus away from his mission, but to lure him into doing his mission in a counterfeit way. Out of a heart that was seeking to prove something rather than a heart secure in his identity given to him by God. You see, the bad news we have to discern is when we try to live out our identity other than the one that God is giving to us. It becomes a lie and can become an idol. Don't miss this. The devil didn't argue with Jesus about his identity or his vocation, but he tempted him towards living out those things in a way other than being centered in God's love. That was the temptation. He didn't say, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to be bread. Right? Or he did say that to him. He said, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to be bread. But he didn't tell that to him because it was necessary for him to get bread. He was trying to get Jesus to use power in a way that wasn't in line with who God was. The text mentions that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, was hungry, and at his most basic level, Jesus is being tempted to leverage his access to divine power to fulfill basic needs, which is hunger. And think about it. Hey, your fast is over. It's been 40 days. You did it. You're done. Yeah, celebrate now, right? You're hungry. You're the son of God. Why not use your access to God and the resources at your disposal? Why not? You know he'll back you up. It's a no-brainer, Jesus. Just turn the stones to bread. Now, notice that there's nothing inherently wrong with leveraging resource to provide for needs, right? We were created for security. Security is a good thing. 
And as I said earlier, the devil doesn't tempt Jesus to do wicked things. Instead, he tempts Jesus to accomplish his mission in ways other than dependent love. And when he comes to Jesus in this moment, whispering a good idea, he'd been fasting for a while, the human body's need for food. He, He knew how to use access to God's power to turn stones to bread. Why not? What's the big deal? You're gonna eat soon anyway. I mean, Jesus later in his ministry multiplied food. So he's gonna do it. Why not do it now? This is how it's done. You perceive a need and you leverage your resource to meet it, right? That's what, that's supposed to happen. But Jesus obviously, obviously didn't see it that way Listen to Jesus' response in verse four. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. This answer is so deep, right? Jesus' answer indicates that there, the temptation was about trusting bread alone to give what was needed for life. The temptation is to make an idol of security, to say, yes, this is what I need. All I need is this bread and it will supply what I need. Jesus is saying the bread is not enough. And the problem is when we want or think that it is. When we think that that is what I need and if I get that, I will be secure. If I get that bread, or you can have other things. In this case, it was obvious the need. If I get this, I will be secure. To believe the lie that I am what I have. Our need for sustenance is at stake in this temptation. Our ability to obtain what we need for life. And if we think it is just the things, we have made them idols And we are believing a lie that that is what we need. Now, again, I want us to remember, Jesus is trying to get to the heart. Because we know, yeah, we're supposed to love God first and above all things. We all know that. But how are we living? The temptation is to take the things and make them what's important. To make them what it is that our life is about. Is life about what we have? The temptation for Eve was that she was missing out by not having more. Yeah, I know you've got all these trees, but look at this one. So many times people have grown up maybe even in like a a very strict, you know, religious home. And they go, you know, to... Christian school or to, you know, some religious school or private school and they are going to church, you know, five days a week and then they go to college and they go off on their own and all of a sudden they have all this freedom and they're like, man, I never knew there was this tree, right? I was able to eat of those trees, but I didn't know that there was this tree and there's this feeling of I need to have more. I've been missing out my whole life. And they want to know what it is they've been missing. 
we want to have, and we think that by having, we will become. She and Jesus are being tempted to operate out of a fear of not having enough and to do whatever is needed to bring that security to themselves. I will take that fruit. I will turn that stone to bread so that I can have what it is I need. The temptation was not to look at what they had, but to fear what they lacked. Let me ask you, how much of your life is in fear of what you don't have? How much of your life and the way of your thinking is thinking about how you don't have enough or you need to get more to find security? How much of our life is focused on getting something so that we can feel that we have and that we feel secure? Now, Bread's not bad, the fruit's not bad in and of themselves, and we're going to talk about that more. But again, the temptation wasn't eat fruit from a tree or turn stones to bread, but to think your security could be achieved by merely the getting. If I get, I will be okay. I am what I have. The temptation for Eve was that God was withholding what she needed, this wisdom to be like God, this food that could provide for her sustenance. For Jesus, it was similar. It was to do the right thing in the wrong way. Oftentimes, we think temptation is what happens, you know, when we're just strolling down the wrong part of town and all of a sudden, you know, we see something we shouldn't and we go somewhere we shouldn't. The temptation, you know, is people looking for a way to sin. But C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters talks about this in just a masterful way, right? It's brilliant how he kind of tells us that temptation doesn't work like that. He actually says, points out over and over that people are tempted to do good things like prayer in ways that slowly and imperceptibly lead people away from God. You think, how could prayer lead people away from God? How could knowing the Bible lead people away from God? Look at the Pharisees. They had all these things, but their hearts were far from him. How? The temptation. The same is true for us. In our lives, it's entirely possible to learn to speak the right words of Jesus and to do those things that look like Jesus, but if we don't also learn to align our wants in the ways of Jesus, we will be at risk of doing things more like a Pharisee in opposition to God than as a child dependent on God. And that's where we get to that security. What are we secure in? Oh, it's what I have. It's all these things. Or is it on who I am because of who God is for me? 
And that's what an idol essentially is, an object which we attach ourselves or our worship to, right? That promises to give us what only God really can give us. Every idol is a counterfeit way of seeking belonging, significance, or security. Every idol is that. It's an alternate way of finding those things. And Jesus models the way to overcome these temptations in his passage, seeing and naming these counterfeit ways he is well accustomed to living out of love, out of trust. His heart is conditioned by God's very presence and power with him. So Jesus leads the way as he sees and resists these temptations. I'm not going to react in that way. I'm going to stay in a place of dependence, right? John talks about these things in 1 John chapter 2. Starting at verse 15, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, this passage, at least by me, has been so misunderstood. There are so many times where I thought this passage meant, yep, you know, we're, we're made for heaven. We're just gonna, you know, this world's gonna burn. We're gonna, you know, go be in the by and by. And this isn't telling us that, you know, we can't, enjoy uh, riding our bikes. We can't enjoy dinner and drinks with friends. We can't enjoy going to a concert. We can't enjoy having a car that doesn't break down or even a nice car. That's not what John is talking about. That is not what is meant by the world. Really, he is contrasting what the power of Rome looks like compared to the power of God's kingdom, a world that is controlled by that authority of taking and claiming and finding security in what you can get, and a world that is based on the humility and love and care of what the kingdom looks like. That's the contrast Right, so don't feel guilty if you want to buy a house. Oh no, I can't love the world. You know, don't feel guilty if you want to buy those nice shoes. I mean, I'm not saying they're good shoes. Maybe you should feel bad because they're ugly. I don't know. You know, but that's not what he's talking about. You see, this is uh, about security. This is about where you you build your life. This is about what you find that brings you security. The lust of the flesh is the desire to control all that is necessary for your life. What you see, you will get. When I train dogs, I'm moving dogs from being reactive to being responsive, right? The dog brain is very reactive. It sees, it goes for, it hears, it barks. It just reacts to its circumstances and our lives can be that way where we feel that we have to react to whatever I feel, whatever I need. I need that to make myself feel better. I need that to hold on to this. Remember when David took a census of his armies, what was he doing? He was saying, this is my strength. And it was condemned. Your strength isn't in the military power. 
oh man, I, I could go some places right now, but I'm not going to. Remember the rich ruler who walked away from Jesus sad. He loved the money and the riches he had more than the opportunity to follow after Jesus. He, he wouldn't give up what he felt was his security for the security that Jesus was offering. Remember when Peter denied that he knew Jesus three times? In and of themselves, right? These desires aren't bad and fulfilling them isn't wrong. For example, in the case of Peter denying Jesus, it's not wrong to want to stay alive, right? I think that's pretty normal. And it's not wrong to do things that keep us alive, like eating healthy, exercising. You should do those things. It's not wrong to do things that keep us alive, but for Peter, his desire to stay alive was elevated above his desire to be loyal to Jesus. This is an extreme case that we don't usually have to worry about, but that's where we see the change take place. It's not wrong to want to stay alive. It's not wrong to want to get out of harm's way. But his loyalty to Jesus wasn't as important as his desire to stay alive. The tricky thing about temptation is that the thing we are being tempted to do isn't usually wrong in and of itself. It's not wrong to want to be secure. It's not wrong to want comfort. It's not wrong to want enough to eat. But we run into trouble when those normal everyday desires elevate themselves to a place of idolatry where we believe that fulfilling our bodily desires for food or sex or safety or comfort or security will give us what we really need. And all we are are bodies living in this world. We fall into the temptation of security when we trust those things to give us the security we're seeking instead of seeking that life that consists of more than just the abundance of our possessions. And we can see evidence of this temptation at work in our lives daily. Think about it, right? Why do we buy things when we're stressed or depressed or anxious? Or why do we drink or use other medication when we are stressed or anxious? Why do we eat when we're stressed or depressed or anxious, right? Well, we know that the brain releases serotonin levels when we do these things, right? When we go shopping, you, 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 you get yelled at by the boss or you have an argument with your wife or your husband, and, and so you go to Target and you feel better. Because the serotonin in your brain is released. It's like a drug. It's saying, you're okay now. And it's the sense of control, right? Or you go on Amazon, or you go to Home Depot, or you go to Guitar Center, right? Pick your drug of choice, right? You go to these places, and you start looking. And if you start shopping, it just feeds this. And you feel better about it because you have this sense of security in what's happening. And you feel good at the moment. but you still have to go back to work. You still have to deal with the relationship. You still have to 
live in your body, in your world, and these things doesn't change the circumstances. And anytime we act out of fear of not being secure, we can give in to this temptation. Understand that? Anytime we're afraid, anytime we feel insecure, we can give in to the temptation to try and get security by something other than God. Again, you need to eat. It's good to buy things that you need. It's not wrong to have a good meal. It's not wrong to go shopping. It's funny, almost every time I do a lesson at someone's house, Amazon comes when I'm doing a lesson. Every single lesson all over Upland, Rancho, LA, Hollywood, everywhere Amazon comes while I'm doing a lesson, which makes me wonder how much does Amazon come all the time to every place, right? It's just, it's mind boggling. Anyway, it's not always clear why we're doing these, but that's why we're trying to discern. What's going on? Is there bad news taking place in the form of a lie that I'm telling myself that I need something to make myself feel secure? Am I putting something in a place of idolatry where I'm leaning into this and getting my fix off of that serotonin rush instead of trusting God for these things? It's not always clear. And all we can do is try and discern the situations where we feel fear, where we feel insecurity, where we feel the need, where we feel like I don't have enough. Explore what's happening in our soul to see if the temptation of security might be at work. I go to homes where people are hoarders when I do training, people who have nice homes, nice cars, and have junk everywhere. And I just wonder why broken things? Like there's a broken piece of furniture that's not even a good piece of furniture. Why do they still have it? Curious. So here are some things maybe to ask ourselves. When we can't seem to throw anything out, just in case we need it, security might be at work. When we only buy the cheapest versions of the goods and services that we need, security might be at work. When we feel sick to our stomach, when we need to use our savings account to pay for the car repair, home repair. Security might be at work. When we can't refuse free samples, (laughs) security might be at work. When we try to appease people to keep them in our church so that they keep tithing so that they can continue to come here so I can continue to draw a salary, security might be at work. Just want to be real. When we can't imagine offering our house for a small group to meet because, well, we're afraid we might not have the energy for it. Security might be at work. When we must stock up and always have a surplus on hand because we refuse to run out of something, security might be at work. Now, each of these situations 
security also might not be at work doesn't mean they're all wrong. The whole point of this is to discern. Where am I finding security? What am I leaning to to feel a sense of security? The core question we organize our lives around is, will I have enough? We fear we won't have enough and employ our energy and resources to secure enough. Where are we putting that energy? And the question then is, how much is enough? Right? What do we need to feel secure? And it's always a little bit more. Right? There was that billionaire, they asked, how much is enough? And he said, a little more. I forget who his name was, but he had more than I do, more than we do, and he still needed more. How much is enough? C.S. Lewis said, I am sure God never teaches us the fear of anything but himself. I'm not supposed to be afraid of my lack of anything else. Right? I am only supposed to put God in that place where he has that priority. And security's program for happiness or idolatry is safety and security. Right? That's what we're trying to find, safety and security. The silent message is, I will be happy when I'm safe and secure. That's the driving force behind one's actions, the desire for security. The core question of security is, will I have enough? There's a constant calculating and forecasting and no such thing as too much. We're always in need of more. The lie of security is the most important thing I have, I can lose, and we are constantly protecting our resources and energy. The false identity of security is, I am what I have. To be empty of resources and energy is one of the worst things we could imagine. That's poverty. The idolatry of security is scarcity, the scarcity mentality driven to meet our needs for safety and security by getting. The temptation of Jesus didn't end when his time in the wilderness was over. Right? One version says the devil left him until an opportune time, meaning that the temptations came up again and again for Jesus in the form of good ideas, reasonable thoughts, prudent decisions, Right? Why not let the crowd make you king and force you to provide for them? That's what your desire is, right? To take care of them. Why not let them make you king so you can do so? Why not stay in Capernaum and stroke the fires of revival with more miracles? We'll have larger groups. We'll get arenas. We'll fill arenas. We'll have crusades. Well, no, we won't have crusades. We'll have harvests. Why not call down legions of angels and vindicate yourself instead of submit to the humiliation of death on the cross? Why not go some other route? Those were temptations he would constantly face. The good news for us is that at every stage, Jesus resisted operating in those counterfeit ways. He was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. He remained in the way of love all the way to the end all the way to the death on a cross. And here's the good news for us in this. Jesus, as the prototype of a new humanity, 
of what the kingdom looks like resisted temptation succeeding where Adam and Eve failed. On the cross, Jesus felt the full weight of the temptation of security, and he was utterly needy, not just hungry or tired, but dying. When they taunted him, asking, if you're the son of God, why don't you come down, or why don't you have God deliver you? I can imagine being tempted. I can imagine saying, yes, why shouldn't I do that? But instead, he stayed needy. He stayed refusing to secure his life in those other things. He emptied himself completely, trusted his father to provide for him to the very end, even to the death on a cross. Security did not come in deliverance from death, but victory over death. Jesus revealed what happens when you trust God to provide for you. God does. Maybe not in the way we would want. Maybe not in the healing of cancer. Just got call yesterday, an old friend has cancer, stage four. And maybe it doesn't end with healing of cancer or with that job. But in the end, God provides good things to those who will receive his gifts. There is a security that cannot be bought and cannot be lost where moths don't eat and rust doesn't destroy. Those gifts are poured out in his ascension and the coming of the spirit. As members of his body, we share in his victory over the fear of not having enough. And the sense of abundance that Adam and Eve lost in the garden is restored in the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Christ. It always amazes me when I go to Haiti or even some parts of Mexico where people have so little and have so much joy. Right? You, you, you almost have this temptation to tell them, like, don't you realize how little you have? Don't, don't you understand that you, you shouldn't be as happy as you are? There's a lot of insecurity around you. And yet we see generosity, we see joy, and we see life. It, it strikes in the face of this idolatry that I live in. The idolatry of security tempts us to believe the lie that we must pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, provide for ourselves, or else we're going to lose everything. It traffics in the fear of not having enough and inspires all kinds of actions based on that fear. But the good news revealed in Jesus is that we are abundantly supplied in Christ. The truth is that God provides good for his people. The lie that Eve believed about God, he can't be trusted to give us what we need. He is withholding something good from us is dispelled in Christ, even though it took him to a cross. Paul would write in Philippians chapter four, verse 19, God will provide for all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. 
our needs. Maybe we don't even know what we really need. Maybe we want things like a child who wants candy instead of sustenance. Maybe we want things instead of what is really secure. Maybe we are holding on to what is temporary and letting go of what is eternal. Maybe our perspective is lost because of the things we try to find security in, right? This is the gospel. For those who wrestle with security, God knows what we need and longs to provide it. Believe that. Discern where you don't, because that is the lie. Security is the third petition of the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Give us today our daily bread. It's a simple request that orients us towards God in humility and trust. We, We don't assume it's all up to us to find what we need today. Instead, we trust our Father in heaven to give us what we need. We don't assume our security lies in stockpiling resources for a potential disastrous future. Instead, we trust that our Father in heaven will give us our daily bread. We trust that our Father gives good gifts to those who ask, and so in humility, we trust and we ask, give us today our daily bread. You know, when... I see the news and I see people panicking because there's a gas shortage. And, and people, you know, putting it in barrels and, and trying to get enough gas, get enough gas. And I wonder, what would I do if that was out here? I mean, I need to drive. I need to do these things. How, how much is that? And, and where is the kingdom mentality in a place where there's shortage? Well, where is it in, in other countries where they don't have as much as we do? Where is the generosity going to show up except where there is a lack? That's where people can be generous. That's where I can give away what I don't need to someone who does have need? How, how is the kingdom going to take place if there isn't a mentality of wanting to supply the needs of others even as Christ has done for us instead of wanting to have and make sure I have enough? Maybe we have to go back to that prayer and pray. Give us today our daily bread. Let's pray. Father, I am confronted with so many areas in my life where I believe a lie and try to find security in ways that really are just idols. And Lord, this is not a a black and white kind of situation where it's either or. Sometimes this is so nuanced that it's difficult, but this is why we have to discern. Lord, we want to discern if we are believing a lie, trying to find security and making an idol of something that can never take your place. And, And 
by doing this, we are forfeiting the security that you want to give. Lord, I, I pray for our community here, and I pray for those who will be listening to this, that it would stir our hearts to want to identify areas within our lives that we are lying to ourselves and placing idols in your place. Lord, you tell us these things, you make us aware of these things so that we can change. And I pray that I change, I pray that we change, I pray that we be a part of your continued change in this world, Lord. That your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you detect the lies and idols you've put in place, and may transformation take place as you put them aside and trust God for your security. God bless you guys. Love you. Take care. Love one another. See you later. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.